By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish when those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in a war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with the endurance of the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word of the Lord. Almighty Father, you have set before us a race, um, a path of following Jesus, um, and it's, it's not an easy one, and and you told us it wouldn't be easy. There's no surprise there. Uh, and yet we're surprised when it's not. Um, but uh, you also speak to us. And you give us courage. And you give us grace. So much grace that the only way to really run the race is to run it relying upon you. And we find that you are more than sufficient. So Father, I pray that you would grant us to find you more than sufficient today. And that, Father, as we come to your word, you would grant us to hear the particular uh, uh, nuance of truth that we need for today and for this part and season in our lives. So grant us to hear and take away every distraction. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And uh, it's helpful if you turn back to uh, page 9. We're going to be looking at that uh, excerpt from the book of Hebrews. Um, it's January. I'm not really into um, uh, New Year's resolutions, but this is a little bit of a January-ish type sermon. Um, because you'll see there at the end of the reading, which is the beginning of chapter 12 of Hebrews... Uh, it talks about a race. It says, run with endurance, with perseverance, the race marked out for you. And so we're going to be talking about that race. 
Uh, and basically what I want to tell you today and remind you today is that if you belong to Jesus Christ, Jesus has set before you a race, uh, a, a, a path in life to follow him faithfully no matter what, all the way to the end. Uh, the image is of a race. And the race that Jesus has called us to, or if you're not uh, a follower of Jesus, the race that he's inviting you into, it's not an easy race. It's a hard race. But nevertheless, I want to point out that it's a really good race. And we are not the first people to ever run this race. Sometimes it feels like we might be, but we're not. Um, if you look back over history, you will find countless numbers in every generation from every social strata, strata in, in widely divergent cultures. You will find people who have run this race before us and have run it faithfully to the end. They've run with Jesus. And they've run with Jesus at great personal cost. It wasn't easy for them. It was no easier for them than it is for us. And there were times where they were sorely tempted to give up. But they didn't give up. They finished the race. And at the end of the race, these millions of people who have gone before us had no regrets. And according to the book of Hebrews, where this excerpt comes from, all those people who have run the race before us, they're, they're, it calls them a cloud of witnesses in chapter 12, verse 1. And, and the image there is, imagine you're running a race in a great stadium, and, uh, and, but you don't have just one coach. Instead, you have like thousands or maybe millions of coaches who are all in the stands and they're cheering you on, um, not merely as spectators, but as people who know what it is to run the race that you're running. They know all about it. And all of them together are speaking to and cheering you on saying, I know the race that you're in. I've been there. Don't give up. I know it's hard, but it's worth it. And it will be so, so worth it. Hang in there. Now, that's kind of the image and the idea of this reading. We are to run a race, not alone, but with the great encouragement of the cloud of witnesses that have gone before. And I wonder how that lands for you. Um, so I used to run uh, races a long time ago. I still like running. I like running a long way. And whenever you run a race or you run a long run, um, it's always hard, right? That's like part of it. Um, and sometimes you feel weak when you're running. And sometimes you feel discouraged, especially in the middle. And sometimes you feel numb. And you find yourself asking, why am I doing this? And yet you just keep on doing it. Anyways. Now, the same thing, something a lot like it can happen is when you're following Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know, we don't want to be coy about this. It's tough. Sometimes when you're following Jesus and you're running the race that he has set before you, you feel weak. And sometimes you feel discouraged. And sometimes you feel numb, even towards God, whom you're supposed to love. And sometimes you find yourself wondering, why are you doing this? Those of you who are followers of Jesus, can you identify with that? And if you can identify with that, 
then this reading is for you. This reading wants to encourage you. How does it encourage you? Well, this reading says this. If you want to run the race with Jesus, then you need to run with the encouragement of the cloud of witnesses behind you. All these people who have run the race before you, you need to listen to them. Because as we listen to them, they're going to point out, you saw this coming, at least three things. As you listen to the cloud of witnesses, they're going to show you a faith that gives strength even when you feel weak. They're going to, give you, they're going to show you a hope that gives, that gives endurance even when you feel discouraged. And they're going to give you a love that gives freedom even when you feel numb. Now, let me go through each of those. First of all, the cloud of witnesses show us a faith that gives strength even when you feel weak. Now, come with me to the reading. Um, as I said, this reading comes from the New Testament book of uh, Hebrews. Interestingly, we don't know who, he who wrote Hebrews. It's, uh, it's not signed by anybody. Um, but it was written in the first century to a group of Christians who were struggling. Uh, and interestingly, I think this is interesting, they were primarily uh, experiencing pressure from the religious community. It, it, we, it's not in the first instance like the Roman Empire that's given them a hard time. It's the religious community that's giving them a, the hard time. And we think that the uh, dominant religious uh, community around them was saying something like this. Uh, Christians. It's as if the dominant religious community was saying, Christians, listen, um, there's nothing wrong with being religious. There's nothing wrong with being spiritual. That's great. Keep that up. Love it. But listen, you need to tone down all this focus on Jesus. It was as if the dominant religious community was looking at these early Christians and they were saying, listen, you are talking about Jesus like he's more than a great rabbi. It's fine if you think he's a great, great rabbi, but you're talking like he's more than that. In fact, they said something like, you're talking like he's greater even than Moses. Not only that, you're talking as if he's greater than every other prophet of any other religious community. Um, and listen, that's ridiculous, said the dominant religious community to the early Christians. And you are acting like fanatics and you need to cut it out. And here's how you cut it out. What you need to do is you need to synchronize whatever it is you like about Jesus with uh, moderate, respectable, inoffensive religion. And if you do that, everything's going to be fine, the dominant religious community said. But if you don't do that, well, we have ways of making your life uncomfortable. Now, as I say it that way, that doesn't sound very scary. But if you're in the situation, it's scary because the dominant religious community could exert pressure, social pressure, and uh, economic pressure and legal pressure. And when you're under those kinds of pressures, it gets scary real fast. And so the Christians under this pressure are starting to have second thoughts and they're starting to think something like, hey, listen, Jesus made these big audacious claims and they're these claims that drew us in. He claimed to be the Messiah and he claimed to be the son of God and he claimed to be the king of everything and we, we, we bought it. Um, but, he, but hang on, we became the followers of the king of everything, and now we're feeling weak, and now we're feeling vulnerable. And I tell you, said some of these early Christians, weak and vulnerable is not what I expected to feel like when I joined up with the king of the universe. And maybe my weakness and my experience of vulnerability is an indication and a sign that Jesus isn't all he said he was. 
Now, can you feel the force to that question? You just a side note. When you feel vulnerable, when you feel weak, when things are kind of going sideways, do you find yourself uh, taking that as evidence that maybe Jesus can't be trusted? Okay, keep that in your mind. Look back at the reading. And now consider the cloud of witnesses. Because throughout this reading, the author of Hebrews wants to come back at these early Christians and say, no, 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 no. Listen, your experience of weakness does not mean that Jesus cannot be trusted. The author of Hebrews says, listen to the cloud of witnesses. Listen to everyone who has run the race before you. And what you will find is that all of them, Emmanuel, all of them felt weak. All of them felt vulnerable. And all of them felt that way regularly. Look at verse 29. Just one example. I can pick many. By faith, the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, they're the strong ones, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Now, remember the story. If you've been here at Emmanuel, we've gone over this lots of times. Israel was enslaved in Egypt. This is hundreds of years before Jesus, and Egypt was a superpower of the day. Uh, The Israelites were terribly weak. And yet God intervened, did a bunch of things, and Israel was able to escape, which was great for like five minutes. But then they got out to the Red Sea, out just kind of a little bit out of town, and all of a sudden they get trapped. They get trapped between the Red Sea, which they cannot cross, and the Egyptian army, which is coming towards them from behind, which they cannot defeat. You bet they felt weak. But in that moment, God spoke, and he spoke to Moses. And God promised to rescue the whole nation in a terribly unexpected way. And despite all the circumstances and the experience of vulnerability and weakness, Moses believed God. And Moses entrusted himself and the nation to God's promise. And in that moment of weakness and vulnerability, God came through. And in a remarkable way, he uh, rescued Israel and he destroyed the Egyptian army. The ones who, uh, who, who were strong in themselves were thrown down. And those who were weak in themselves but strong in God were delivered. That's the story of faith. Slow down and think about the word faith, concept of faith. Um, Hebrews' point is that the only way to really run the race with Jesus well is to run it by faith. And the whole cloud of witnesses, everybody who's gone before, every one of them that has finished the race well has finished the race by faith. And why is faith so important? Well, uh, just a little bit before our reading, uh, Hebrews says this, faith, listen closely, faith is the assurance, what is it? The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But differently, faith is trusting God to keep his word even when you can't see how he's going to pull it off. Or put differently yet again, faith means I'm not going to trust in myself and what I can achieve with my own resources. Rather, I'm going to surrender confidence in myself. I'm going to put that aside. And rather, I'm going to place all my trust in what God can do on my behalf. Now, can you see how that goes against like every instinct in us? 
I mean, maybe it's just me, but it goes against all my instincts because I really, really like it best when, I can when Jim can rely on Jim for whatever Jim needs or wants or whatever. And therefore, trusting someone else can get scary, especially if I can't see that someone else. But here's the thing, as scary as faith is, and as weak as we feel when we entrust ourselves to God, nevertheless, faith opens us up to immeasurable strength. Why? Because when we trust God and not ourselves, God's power becomes available to us. God's power. Like, Israel could never have defeated Egypt. Like, not in a kabillion years. But by trusting God, and not themselves, God's power intervened and achieved for Israel what Israel could never have achieved for themselves. Friends, that's the life of faith. Verse 33 puts it this way, talking about the whole of the cloud of witnesses, sums it up by saying, by faith they were made strong out of weakness. That's just normal, team. So here's my question. Are, do you feel weak? Do you feel weak sometimes? Emmanuel, your experience of weakness is not a sign that God is unreliable. That is a false conclusion. Every single one of the cloud of witnesses felt weak too. Instead, your weakness and my weakness is a moment when God is calling us to renounce self-reliance and surrender your confidence entirely to God. And that's the path of faith, and that is the path of strength, despite what it feels like. But there's more. Not only do the cloud of witnesses show us a faith that gives strength in the midst of our weakness, but the cloud of witnesses also show us a hope that gives endurance even when we're discouraged. Now, um, the reading that we just had, it, it doesn't use the word hope, but it's everywhere. The concept's everywhere. And especially you can see it in the way the cloud of witnesses suffer. Take a look at verse 35. It says this, uh, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered flogging and mocking and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. We think that was Jeremiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Well, that's cheery. Uh, we just said that weakness is normal when you're running the race with Jesus. Ends up so is suffering. And can you imagine, if you put yourself in those experiences, just how discouraging this must have been? Can you imagine? Are you discouraged right now? Here's my question. What is it that gave the cloud of witnesses the ability to endure despite the suffering and the discouragement that must have gone along? And the answer is hope. Now, what is hope? Well, here's a couple ways of thinking about it. Hope is faith that trusts God to make sure our story ends well. Or hope is faith that trusts God for the future. 
Hope trusts God for the future, even when the present is terrible. And just before this reading, uh, it says this, that the cloud of witnesses walked through this world as if this world wasn't really their home. They walked through this world with their eyes set, it says, upon a better country that they trusted God would give them. See, the cloud of witnesses knew that in a real way, their real home, their real country, was the country that God was preparing for them in the future. And that future hope gave them endurance in the present to trust God despite the difficulties. And it's not just that they endured, that they kind of survived just long enough to die and go to heaven. That's not, that's not, that's not it. Um, they endured, meaning... They actively served God and served their world through it all. If you look at verse 33, they made a huge impact on the world around them as they walked with the Lord. They lived beautiful lives. They lived significant lives. They lived meaningful lives. And they impacted the world around them in ways that have echoed down through the ages to this very day. It's why we remember them. I mean, we can spend our lives angling for comfort, and your life will soon be forgotten. And it will pass away. But when one entrusts yourself wholly to God and lives in this world for his purpose and for his kingdom, there is an impact and a significance and a meaningfulness that, is, that animates your life and animates the people around you and the community in which you live that echoes down through the ages. I often pray for Emmanuel, Lord, make us a people of long-term impact. And it only happens when you run the race with Jesus, with hope. On the other hand, um, the e one of the easiest ways to become complicit with evil in the present is to lose hope for the future. Because then it's like, well, whatever. And on the other hand, a key way to stand for truth and for goodness and for justice in the present is to persevere now with your hope set in God. It's what the cloud of witnesses have always done. And I can think of few things our world needs more than a church of Jesus Christ that walks a life of hope. So Emmanuel, are we a people of hope? Are you able to trust God for his promised future even when the present is painful? And how do you gain that kind of hope? Well, before I answer that question, um, I want to point out something troubling as if some of this stuff wasn't already troubling. Take a look at verse 39. This troubles me. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Does that trouble you? It troubles me. Um, the cloud of witnesses, they put all their hope in God, right? And they suffer and they endure and they do all these stuff. And yet they die before God's promises for them are fully fulfilled. Did God fail? And that's a question that brings us to Jesus Christ. Because the whole argument of the book of Hebrews, go read it. The whole argument of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the unexpected but perfect fulfillment of all God's promises. 
And it's a little bit like this. All those people, those millions of people who ran the race through the ages past, who trusted in God's promise, who who hoped in God's future fulfillment, when they died, it was like their story was not yet completed. It wasn't quite finished. The story wasn't over. Their death was like a cliffhanger. And there's a question that kind of hung over all of their lives. How would God fulfill his promises to them? Uh, It's the same question that hangs over the whole of the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures. How is the story going to be resolved? How is God going to fulfill his promises? Or was hope in God empty? Was there trust in God? Was it just foolish? Verse 35 said, that they had lived this life hoping to be raised again to a greater resurrection. The question is, when is that resurrection going to happen? And the Old Testament just sort of leaves that question hanging. And then Jesus shows up. And this is why the early Christians looked at Jesus and said, we know he's more than a prophet. And we know he's more than a rabbi and more than everything else. Jesus shows up, and in a remarkable way, he is both fully human and he's fully God. And one of the things that that means is that in Jesus, God himself was joining the story of the cloud of witnesses. And Jesus suffered just like they had done, only more. And Jesus trusted not in himself, but in his Father's promise. And Jesus went to the cross, it says, with the joy that was set before him, which is a way of describing hope. He went to the cross, scorning and despising the shame of the cross, but his hope was set on his Father, that his Father would keep his promise of raising him to a better life. He had the same hope that the cloud of witnesses had before him. And it ends up that that the Father was perfectly faithful to Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead three days later. And here's the really important thing. The resurrection of Jesus wasn't just a one-off event. The resurrection of Jesus was more like a down payment. The resurrection of Jesus meant that if God had raised Jesus, then that's the first installment of what he's going to do for all the cloud of witnesses and for all who trust him subsequently. Another way to put it is that Jesus is the perfecter of the faith. He brings it to fulfillment for all those who trusted in God in the past and all who will trust him in the future. And that explains why. Emmanuel, if you want to run the race with Jesus, first look at the cloud of witnesses. Watch their faith. Watch their hope. Watch how their faith and their hope gave them strength and weakness and endurance in difficulty. But then ultimately, even those things aren't the greatest gifts the cloud of witness gives us. The cloud of witnesses' greatest gift is to point away from themselves and to point us to Jesus Christ. Chapter chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Run with endurance the race set before you, looking unto Jesus. That's the key. It's as you look at Jesus and you find him the founder and the perfecter of our faith, that's when we gain the strength and the endurance to run to the end. It's with your eyes set on Jesus, Emmanuel. Look at Jesus because you will never find anyone more worthy of your faith than Jesus. If you're going to trust anyone, trust someone who's willing to suffer for you. 
If you find somebody who's not willing to suffer for you, don't trust them that much. But Jesus suffered for you, and you'll never find anyone more worthy of your confidence and trust. And look at Jesus. You will never find a better source for real hope. Because when you look at Jesus, you'll see that he has gone the hard, he has done the hard path that you will have to travel, but he's done it before you and he's done a harder path. And his path led to death, and yet death could not hold him. He rose again three days later, which means he conquered death. And let me tell you, if you find somebody who has conquered death, there's somebody who is worthy of your hope and your confidence. Hope in him. And then use that hope in him that he promises that all who uh, entrust themselves to him, that he will cause our death not to be the end, but that he will bring us into his resurrection. And he will ensure that our story ends as his story ended in resurrection and a better life. Use that hope to combat the discouragements of the present. Just like Jesus went to the cross with his eyes set upon the joy set before him. But then finally, as you look at Jesus, you'll find not only faith and hope, but you will find a love that gives freedom. Freedom from the weight and the sin that so easily entangles. Because when you look at Jesus, you will find that God, the God of the universe, has given everything that he is in sacrifice for you. And that is the ultimate act of love. When Jesus dies for you on the cross. And when you see the magnitude of Jesus' self-giving for you. The magnitude of his sacrifice for you. That love, when that love penetrates your heart. It doesn't just penetrate your heart. But inside your heart it begins to replicate itself. It begins to reproduce itself. And your heart begins to echo the love that Jesus has shown towards you. And you begin to love him back. And you begin to want to give all that you are to him as he has given everything to you. And so you find yourself loving him. And it is that love that frees you to be able to say, let me set aside the weight and the sin that clings so closely and let me run the race that is before me. I want to run for Jesus. I want to live for Jesus because he gave everything for me. Emmanuel, that's how we run this race. And Emmanuel, I want to exhort you and invite you and call you back to the race. Those of us who are weak, look at the cloud of witnesses and watch their faith. Your weakness is not unique, though it is important. In your weakness, trust the Lord and he will give you a strength you cannot generate. And then in the midst of your discouragement, look at Jesus and look at the cloud of witnesses because their hope was not in vain. And neither will yours. And use that hope to combat the discouragements of the present. And then with your eyes fixed on Jesus, ask him to implant within you a love that you cannot generate yourself. You may feel numb towards God. That's okay. Jesus can deal with it. And as Jesus warms your heart with the love that you cannot generate but that he can give, as that faith and that hope and that love all begin working within you with your eyes set upon Jesus, then, Emmanuel, a wonderful thing will happen. You will find yourselves enrolled in the cloud of witnesses. And you will find yourself a witness to others, an encouragement to others, a signpost to others that says that Jesus Christ really is trustworthy and Jesus Christ really is true and Jesus Christ really is risen from the dead and there really is hope in this world. 
And in the age to come, you will find that your life, part of the sweet significance of your life is that you will begin, you will be able, be able to look at the generations that followed you and you will be able, be able to see something of the impact that your faithful race running had in the lives of others and the cloud of witness will roll on to the glory of Jesus Christ. So Emmanuel, run the race. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.